DAI is an incredible organization, Development Associates International. They have, uh, as they say, walked alongside over 100,000 people in parts of the world where it would be extraordinarily difficult for them to get the kind of quality, theological, and leadership training to equip them to then lead Christian organizations. And uh, nobody does that more effectively than DAI. Jane has led that organization for most of its history. And uh, it's been a joy to see how God has used her and used DAI. Many of you have heard Paul Borthwick. Paul is one of their, uh, one of the people who goes out and does training. And uh, Jane, it's a joy to have you here with us tonight. Jane is president and CEO, and with her uh, is Nancy Tibbert, Tibert, Tibert. I keep wanting to say Tibbert or Tibber. I'm sorry. I do poorly with names of more than one syllable. I'm just, <laughs> if you're John Wood, you don't learn to say, you don't learn to say real names. Thanks so much for being with us as well. And she is, she is the Director of Development for DAI. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. You've said so many nice things about me this week. You can say anything you want to about Nancy or me or anything else. It's just fine. It is such an honor to be here with you. And it's, it's incredibly humbling to follow the speakers that we've had this week. What incredible men of God. I think it would be just totally intimidating if it wasn't for the fact that they are the kind of people that we get to serve on a regular basis. And by that, I mean amazing men and women who have been saved out of another faith into faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and then become leaders in their own communities. And for so many of them, they are so anxious to get help. They know what they feel called to, they know what they want to accomplish, but so many times, they just have uh, very little in the sense of skills of knowing how to do that. And especially, they don't know how to do that in a way that's really pleasing to God because they're coming out of a culture that's completely different. Um, so the chance to come alongside them is just this amazing privilege, just like it is tonight to, to follow uh, some of these amazing people and to speak to you. I really appreciate the chance. Um, I also need to bring greetings from my family. I have an absolutely amazing husband. Um, in fact, all the people that know us both well always say, Jane, you only look good because of Harold. And I say, I know that. I have no question about that. We get to celebrate our 37th anniversary on Thursday. And um, uh, I think that's just amazing, personally. Um, and, and we've worked together almost all of our lives together. Uh, we have three amazing kids, five grandchildren. If you want to see pictures, just ask me, or don't even ask me. I'll show them to you anyway. Um, but in all of this, uh, God has just given us this amazing chance to serve these leaders. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight. What's so important about this? Why does leadership development matter? Uh, 
what is it about discipling leaders that should be so incredibly important to us? Um, I should probably correct one small thing that John said last night. Um, he was saying so many nice things about me. Most of what he said was true about the event. It was 2010 in Cape Town. It was a, a gathering of those interested in leadership development. We had an absolutely enormous space to do this in, and the place just filled up. And eventually they did lock the doors. Um, and I'm so sorry he got locked out. But it wasn't, it had nothing to do with me. I mean, no one knew who I was, but they were so hungry for tools in leadership development. And, and that was shocking almost to us. Even though we live in this world, we had no idea what the interest level would be, and neither did the organizers, that they probably would have given us a bigger room. Um, at that point, it was like a river, a rushing river of interest. If anything, today, it's like this massive, overwhelming flood. Um, and it's because of all the things going on in the world, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but to begin with, I, I want us to start with one of those amazing prophetic voices in our own culture, Dilbert. <laughs> and right now, John and Pierce are both saying, why in the world did we ask her to speak? Um, this is one of my favorite cartoons. If you can't read it from where you're sitting, the first frame says, I'm too busy to take a leadership class, so I'm sending all of you to a followership class. And he says, is that so we can learn how to follow someone who never learned how to lead? And he says, yeah, that sounds like a good question for your followership teacher. Um, and I have a question for you as to whether or not this reminds you of anyone you've ever worked for before. Um, and I want you to do something for me. I want you to think of two qualities of the worst boss or leader um, you've ever worked for. And what were those? Just take a minute to think. And then how did that affect you and your work? Now, if you don't mind, I'd love you to turn to someone, hopefully not your boss, and tell them. <laughs> Tell them what you were just thinking about, just for a few minutes. I'm giving you permission to talk in church, but it's not, you're only going to get a couple of minutes. Okay, I'm hoping you, some of you could not think of any examples, but if you're human, I'm guessing some of you did think of some. Um, if you were sitting in one of our classes, we'd spend the next half hour hearing back from you what you, you were talking about, but unfortunately, we can't do that with this large of a group. I can tell you what the answers would be if we were in a developing world country um, in lots of parts of the world right now. 
The thing they would say about the qualities of the bosses that they've had is that they were rigid, they were controlling, they showed no trust, they never listened, they were abusive, manipulative, corrupt, and this is within Christian organizations, I might add. Um, uh, we, did, we did the research before the Lausanne Congress, and we had the amazing opportunity to do this with over 5,000 leaders in a number of languages around the world. These are, this was the normal response. And as you can guess, the way it affected people was that they were demotivated, useless, felt stupid, fearful, why try, felt used. Um, um, often, often I think the leader really doesn't understand. They don't really know what they're doing wrong. Um, and they themselves have never experienced good leadership, so they're only doing what they've seen done in the past. And so oftentimes this is very cultural. Um, they're from a, a, a culture that loves big boss leadership, uh, top down, and that's all they've ever seen. In fact, research is consistently shown that the greatest challenge to effective leadership is big boss leadership. And the fascinating thing is that this is not a new issue. Um, this passage in Luke is probably really, really familiar. Then the disciples began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest. And Jesus said, no, 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 we're not like the Gentiles. Among you, it will be different. Those of who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. I often think about the fact this passage is, is told at the Last Supper. This is at the end of three years of walking with Jesus. We know God is grace-filled because over and over again we just see in the New Testament, the disciples just didn't get it, you know? Can you imagine they're at the Last Supper and they get into an argument about who gets to be the greatest? I mean, it's like, you know, junior high kids. Um, and yet, this is just so typical. You know, leadership is all about me. It's all about how much power I can get. It's all about how this affects me. And it's such a human trait. Someone asked me recently, do you see really different needs in different parts of the world? And I used to think that that was going to be the case, but it's fascinating because basically the issues are almost the same across the world. They put on very different cultural clothes, but they all come back to some basic, very best, basic sin nature issues of power and, and putting themselves first. This matters so much because Christ-like servant leadership makes all the difference in people being able to do the things that they're called, in being released to play their role, in, in having the opportunity to serve, in being able to use their gifts. It matters here, and it definitely matters across the global church. Um, there are so many reasons why this is such a huge need, and the first one is a fabulous reason. It's because of the amazing growth across the church in the global south. One of my, my early experiences in this ministry had to do with North India. 
and there everything is in the thousands. You know, you start talking about numbers and you just kind of get, it rolls over you after a while because the numbers are so huge. And yet there's been such amazing movements to God. But it's out of complete Hindu culture and complete ignorance about really who this God is they're following. And someone will come to faith, a very genuine faith, and a month later they're leading the house church because there's no one else. Um, and it's fabulous because the gospel gets preached because that's all they know, and it grows, and it gets to 25, and that's marvelous. It gets to 50. It's working well. It gets to 100, and things start getting a little shaky, and it gets over that, and the thing implodes. And, and all those people sort of get inoculated against the gospel in a way. Um, and that's the kind of thing, it's just, it's just tragic in God's eyes. And it doesn't need to happen. If somebody had come alongside some of these marvelously recently saved leaders especially and helped them just see what their faith has to do with leadership and some tools. There is an epidemic of corruption across the world. I used to say across the developing world. I don't think we're, we're excluded. Um, it's, a, it's amazing how deep it is. We had the, the privilege of working with the... Um, woman in charge of, of revenue uh, collection for the city of Kampala in Uganda. And she would sit and say, it's not that we don't have the money for these things. We could have a bus service. We could have garbage collection. But it all gets siphoned off. There's all these gangs. There's all this stuff. And a group gathered around her, and they prayed about it. They talked about it, other city leaders. And they said, if you'll make the decisions, we'll, we'll watch your back. We'll take care of you. Together, we can make a difference in this. And, and then a few months later, the articles start flowing in the local paper. It's the first time we've had a consistent garbage service. This is amazing. And, and there are attempts on this woman's life, but she says, you know what? It's worth it. I don't care what these gangs have to say. I'm going to keep going, and I've got friends to help me. And the streets start getting cleaned. And, and things can change. But it, it takes incredibly committed people, and it often takes a group of them to see it happen. The other reason that leadership is so hard in our world today has nothing to do with specific geography. It's just that everything is more complex. Um, um, I don't know about you, but if you're leading anything, you can't possibly do it the way you did it two years ago, five years ago even, because everything's changing so fast. Um, People find it so difficult to figure out how to, you know, navigate these waters. Um, it's, it's amazing how difficult it makes it. And all leaders need help, I've come to the conclusion. One of the things DAI never has a problem with is market. It's like any time we open anything anywhere, it just goes a little bit nuts on us. Um, our mission statement is that DAI is committed to develop the integrity and the effectiveness of Christian leaders worldwide so that the church can fulfill its role in extending the kingdom of God. It's all about the church, you know. Um, the integrity piece is all about the heart. One of the things that we found so consistently is so many leaders fail uh, because they're running on basically fumes, if you could say that. They're running on experience they had years ago, and they're going so fast and working so hard, and there's so much on them. They just don't have time to feed their own souls, or at least they don't think they do. 
Um, so this whole area of caring for the heart is so incredible. I, I put in this picture of Roman because he's my current hero at the moment. Roman Popov works with us in, in, in central Russia and into central Asia, actually. And he has taken um, um, a, a version of a spiritual formation course that we had put together, um, really kind of a simple thing that takes you through dis different disciplines of the faith and, and helps you think about practicing them, because no matter what background or denominational uh, background you come out of, you're going to be strong in some and not as strong as others. So it just kind of is a survey of these things. And, and he's taken it and made it really work well in the Russian culture. Um, and he said, you know, we're all so emotionally broken, Jane. He said, we've been stripped of families through the, the, the years. The government took our fathers and our mothers away from us. Our fathers ended up all alcoholics, practically, or they were taken away to do work. And he said, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my father was a pastor. My grandfather served in prison because of being a pastor. I always knew God was my boss. I always check in with him in the morning to find out what the orders are for the day. I've never questioned that. And then he starts tearing up, this big hockey-playing Russian, and says, but who knew he loved me? Who knew he loved me? I had no idea. I've never felt that kind of a father's love. And he said, it's, it's happening throughout these networks of small groups now, that you can watch them begin to just change. It's almost like watching a flower bloom. Um, so that's just one area in which we get this incredible opportunity to work. The other side of effectiveness. Um, it's all the things about how to manage people, money, and organizations in ways that are pleasing to God. For those of you from a business background, you're thinking, why, don't, why doesn't everybody know that? <sighs> you know, but trust me, uh, people in ministry often have no background in that. They're smart people, they're doing the very best they can, but uh, we learn through a lot of errors sometimes, and sometimes those errors can be pretty devastating. Um, let me share with you, um, well, actually, let me let you hear from Pastor Cross himself about some experiences he had. This man is a pastor in Northeast India, very committed to evangelism when he, we met him, uh, serving under an incredibly big boss leader um, and and doing everything he knew to do. And let's just hear what he wants to tell us. Jesus said, I came to seek the loss. I feel like many times as a pastor or even as Christians, we are too confined in the four walls of the church. There are people who know nothing about God's love at all. And they are people who are suffering and they need to hear this gospel. I was introduced to DAI 
in 2009 by a friend of mine. They offered two courses, one a hymn lead workshop, which is a non-formal one, and the other one is an MA program. And so right now I'm in the fourth semester of this MA program of uh, DAI. And that really changed my perspective. You know, it has really been a blessing to me, especially the teachings on God's heart for the poor. I have a heart for the lost souls and all, but the teachings that I had has really impacted me. It's like it really opened my eyes. I feel like uh, the compassion of God, you know, deep down inside my heart to show God's love, not only in words, but also in a practical way. Our heart is to bring hope to those who have no hope at all and so many other things. There's one family in one village called Raitong. It's an orphan family and they are really in dire need and they have no proper means to even sustain themselves. And so we help them start a pig's farm. And also we supply them the seeds. We pray that the Lord will bless them. Also we have a home where we embrace those uh, homeless people. It's called God's Dream Home. So it's a home for the elderly men, uh, those homeless and uncared men. We decided to construct a new God's Dream Home for the women. And after much prayer, start the children's home. The things that I've learned from that workshop was on God's heart for the poor. And the other thing that has really impacted me is the topic on servant leadership. That topic has really opened up my eyes and changed my perspective to see how we can serve God in the way that Jesus serve and lead the people. So this is our way of serving God. This is our way of what we learn of expressing our service to God when we serve one another, when we love one another, not only with our words, but in action, like what we learn in DI. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. If we don't do it, who will do it? When a local leader like that becomes even more equipped to do the things that make a difference in their own community, then you know it can't stop. You know, just like you all do here in Knoxville. When, when you get that burden and you can see it happen, these dream homes were amazing. Um, they've all been funded by this little local church that doesn't have any money. Um, but once they had it in their minds, that they couldn't just leave these people out on the street. It was unbelievable to watch. It's just been lovely. Um, DAI basically does almost everything they do around sort of six areas or goals. Uh, we've talked about some of them. Servant leadership, it just seems to change absolutely everything. Um, and I want to say we're terribly practical about this. It's one thing to help people want to be servants. That's an act of the Holy Spirit, and we kind of foster that. But then they say, now what do I do? I've never seen it. Um, I remember teaching in a, in, a, in a class, a seminary class in Kenya, 
And it was all these young people. And the more we talked about servant leadership, the more excited they got. And you could just tell it was starting to bubble up in them. Like, this is, this is almost too good to be true. And finally, one of them just couldn't stand it anymore. And he said, but, but you've got to help us. He said, I love this. I, I want to be like this, but I have no idea where to start. I have never seen anything like this. Um, you're going to have to walk with us, or I'll just end up just exactly like all those people that right now I can't stand their leadership because it's the only model I've ever seen. So we teach all sorts of practical things, you know, how to figure out people's giftings around you and how to delegate and how to assign things and a job description. And, you know, it's not rocket science all the time. It depends on what kind of an organization you're applying it to, but just tools. How do we do these things? Um, being learning organizations. This is a huge piece. Um, oftentimes, I mean, I've been in Christian ministry for 37 years now, and it's amazing how we'll keep doing the same thing because it used to work, you know. Um, it doesn't dawn on us that we probably need to keep changing and kind of get ahead of this curve. And how to do that? Um, spiritual growth. I already talked about that with what Roman does. The integrity and accountability. Um, I was in West Africa week before last, French-speaking West Africa, and I was just um, almost overwhelmed by the way they kept saying, we have an epidemic of, of corruption here. This is our problem. These are the poorest countries in the world by almost any index. We had folks there from Chad and Togo and Democratic Republic of Congo, and there's certainly plenty of war to blame it on, but they said, it's actually ourselves. And one of them said, you know, um, one of the local leaders came in to teach us about leadership and integrity and then turned around and charged two different organizations for his ticket. Um, and he said, do you see the problem we have? We don't even see it ourselves, you know, how do we do this? Um, the active pursuit of justice. Um, how do you bring change in your own community, just like Reverend Cross? And humility. Um, Hopefully, everything DAI does comes from a point of humility. We do not have answers for leaders in another place. Um, we really don't have famous Americans that come in and tell you how to do things. Uh, but instead, we have lots of questions, and we have case studies, and we say, now, if you're in this situation, what would you do here? What would be the thing you'd do? And then we sort of hold up a mirror of scripture and say, now, would that still be the right choice if you look at it in light of this? And, and it's lovely to watch it uh, because people begin to say, huh, I, I think we could try this, you know, and pretty soon they are trying this. And then the group around them is saying, did it work? And they said, well, this worked, this didn't. Let's figure out why. And, and over time in these small groups and in discussions, you just watch the, the path changing. Um, Leadership development is so desperately needed across the board, and there are so many groups engaged in this, and, and I, every single one of them is needed. I just hope you hear me say that. Uh, we're just one little piece of the puzzle. Uh, but sometimes it's helpful if you know what's different about the way we do things, because I think what we do, I hope and pray what we do, it looks a lot like discipleship, if that makes sense. How do you help a leader really grow into who they should be in God? Um, and it's a never-ending thing. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize I'm just beginning to get a glimmer of who God is. Do you ever have that sense? Um, and, and I've been walking with the Lord since I was six years old. I have no excuse. 
Now, I might be a slow learner, but I think God is just so much bigger than any of us really begin to figure out. And that's true for Christian leaders everywhere. Um, we use a lot of what we call adult interactive education. Um, leaders don't particularly listen well, generally speaking. Um, since I am one, I can call us out. Uh, but if you ask them questions and you get them to figure out the answer and say it, it just sticks with them longer. They think about it. It's something that occurred to them. Just try a test sometime. Um, go home after a, a dinner with someone and tell your spouse what the conversation was about, and you will repeat all the things that you said. It, it's a human nature thing. Um, in education, this works really well if you can get the learners to be doing the talking because they do remember things so much longer. Um, we have a commitment to long-term relational uh, ministry. Uh, we had a wonderful man who was head of the Missions Association in India years ago say to us, you can't do this the way you're doing this. You can't come and go. It's not going to work. We need someone local who's here, who speaks our language, who we can come to every time we need help. And my thought at the time was, oh, no. Oh, no, please, not that. Not another mission agency, really. Um, but it's fascinating because now we have, I think it's 26 offices in different parts of the world that are staffed by local people, and, and others come there regularly. They'll do a course. They'll have them come in and do something for their organization, and they'll be back six months later saying, that works so well. I want you to come do this now. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, programs directed by indigenous leaders. Uh, we don't have very many rules in DAI, but whoever is the country director for us has to be from that place. That doesn't mean that we don't have use for missionaries. We have Westerners coming in and serving under those people. But the person in charge, we feel like, knows and understands the needs of leaders in that place much better than I ever will. Um, and so they should be the ones making those decisions. And it's amazing how much respect that brings. And it's amazing the quality of people that come alongside this and say, we think you're serious about that. Um, and if you really are, we'd like to be part of this network. Uh, leadership and management from a biblical perspective. We don't do basic theological training. That is desperately needed, Bible training. But there are so many good groups doing that. Um, and then hopefully some humility in our approach. Who do we target? Um, leaders who are Christians. Now, this includes a lot of pastors. Probably about 25% of our audience is pastors. Lots of leaders of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, um, educators, medical professionals. We've had an amazing number of doctors in India, especially missionary doctors, be part of our programs, which has been such an incredible privilege. Business owners, relief workers, politicians. And I would love to, again, let one of those speak to you. Um, this is Irene Kasaka. She is the, um, her title is the Principal Secretary to the First Lady of Uganda. That wasn't her title when I first met her. She began doing some of our non-formal programs, then did the MA program, and she kept getting promoted and promoted. Um, and I'll just let her tell you about it. I strongly believe that I have a call to leadership. 
from January 2010. I have been with the First Lady as her Principal Secretary. One of the problems we are grappling with is corruption. Uganda has gone through a lot of turmoil, a lot of war, a lot of poverty. In our culture, we look at a leader as the big boss up there. The impact is how leaders quietly change from being the big boss to being somebody who is willing to serve, who is willing to listen. And Irene has not only drawn in the first lady, many of her colleagues that she works with to do the master's course. One of the key things I learned in the master's program is the whole issue of servant leadership. It's not about me becoming a prominent person in Uganda. It's about service to his people. It's about skill. It's about the heart. It's about empowering other people. It's about leaving other people better than you found them. Here at the office of the Prime Minister, the region we focus on is a region that was neglected. For over 40 years, they have depended on food handouts. We have trained them to cultivate the land. Now they are able to grow food. From the awareness in our training, we counted that as a privilege to serve Karamoja. God has given us the privilege to go to Karamoja and turn around their lives. Her life has zeal to serve in humility as a result really of the DAI material. And she's opened for us the door to be able to reach the highest office, which is transformational. The integrity and the skill is a tremendous need for Africa. I keep telling myself that this is not a destination. This is still part of the journey. I'm excited about the future. I have learned so many things that I can take up any leadership role, any challenge, because of the training. I, Irene has been such an incredible influence, and this is often what happens in the countries where we have longer-term work, is that people tell their friends, you know, what happened? And they'll say, well, i got to tell you about this. In Irene's case, um, she um, told her boss, the first lady, about this master's degree program in, in Uganda. And our director there uh, took advantage of a trip that I was on there and said, oh, our president is coming, so I want you to meet her. And to me, he's saying, would you please tell her about the MA? She needs to do this. So. I got to go to the State House and, and have tea. And um, when I met Janet Musevni, um, I had the wonderful chance to say, are you interested in this at all? And she said, oh, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine going out to the university with those kids. I'm not sure I can actually manage that, you know, with all the protocol, the things. And I said, don't worry, we can bring it to you. And um, she said, really? And I said, oh, yeah. Just bring together a group of your friends that you really trust and you're happy to be really honest with and interact with. And the program's portable. It's OK. Uh, you only have to be together one week every semester. And from there, you take everything and study it. 
And she said, well, I, I think I could do that. And um, she really didn't have any idea how much time it takes to do the study, <clears throat> but she did figure that out. Um, and, and I said to her at one point, are you sure you really want to do this? You could audit it. You know, you don't have to do the whole thing. And she said, Jane, if I'm going to do the program, I'm going to get the degree. She's a pretty determined lady. Lovely believer, absolutely lovely believer, in a very complex situation because her husband, who's the president, is not a believer and is quite verbal about that, but they do love each other dearly. And he came along for her graduation. Um, um, this was about a year ago now that she graduated from the program, and it was incredible press. But she is an absolutely lovely lady. And Paul Borthwick is actually visiting with her this week in Uganda. So I got that email this morning. That was quite timely. Um, we have, last year, we had the privilege of working with about 28,000 leaders. Um, and this is through a variety of programs. This master's degree program has about 1,000 students in it at any given time. Uh, we partner with universities and seminaries now in 19 countries to offer that. Everything else we do, we would call it non-formal. It's the workshop, small group, ongoing. All of our folks realize that the longer you spend with the smaller the group, the deeper it goes. Uh, there are some limits to that, of course, but they love doing it. Um, there's a lot of mentoring that we do, and we, then we encourage everybody to do mentoring. Uh, this is a real change in mindset for so many people. I remember the first time I met this marvelous Ethiopian leader, and this was many years ago. And um, I told this in the Sunday school class, so forgive me, but it's just such a good example. And I said to him, how do you mentor, how do you grow leaders here in Africa, especially in Ethiopia? Tell me about it. And he said, oh, you really want to know? And I said, I really do. We're really trying to figure this out right now because we want to encourage people. And he said, oh, it's very simple. When we see a really young, bright, wonderful leader coming up, and it's very, very clear he's got great gifts, we do this. And he said, because we're afraid. We're afraid they're going to take our job. We're going to afraid they're going to take over. And of course, I kind of jumped back a little bit. And he had a bit of a twinkle in his eye, and he said, it's not the right thing, Jane, and we need to change. Um, and it's so wonderful to get leaders to think, no, you don't have to guard your turf. You don't have to worry about your position. Just keep bringing those younger leaders in. Welcome them and watch the hearts and lives change. We do some consulting with organizations. Sometimes they'll get a hold of something and they'll say, mm, we need a little more help here. And then connecting, which is so much fun, because everything these leaders need after we've walked with them for a while, but they don't, but we don't have, We'll try to connect them up to that resource so that they can succeed, because that's the goal. Um, uh, DAI works in about 74 countries right now. This map is so busy, I don't know if you can see anything, but the red dots are where we have offices and staff, and, and the other places are where we have projects or partnerships. We love partnerships. Um, sometimes we're not known terribly well in a place because nobody's heard our name, but they know our partner's name, and that makes us really, really happy. A lot of new things coming. The, we're doing an impact study right now, an external one of our non-formal training, so we know how to do it better. We have an online learning center that opened just about nine months ago, so you can go on and take a course if you want to, and so can anyone else in the world. And um, 5,000 people signed up in the first six months, and it just about shocked us. But what was fascinating is most of them are from somewhere else in the world. Uh, Nigerians, South Africans, Egyptians. Um, and then the thing that's nearly killing us is expanding geographically. We're just a bit overwhelmed, I have to be honest. 
Uh, there's something wonderful about gaining a reputation, but then people want you to come. Um, so there's so much going on, and it's, it's so absolutely amazing. But at the same time, I always have to go back to, to our friend Pastor Cross when I start thinking about all these things. Um, because I feel like the stakes are really high. God is incredibly at work in the world today. There are so many people coming to faith. Just the things that Brother Rashid was sharing last night, just the numbers they were sharing were shocking, but they're true. But then somebody needs to come alongside them really quickly and say, here's what it really takes. Here's, you, don't, you aren't alone in this. It's possible. You're going to learn all you need to learn, and we're going to keep walking with you as you do, and I'm still learning too, and I'll learn from you some too. Um, when that happens, it's possible for those local leaders to really bring the healing power of the gospel to their own communities. And it is incredibly exciting when that happens. Um, let's just hear Pastor Cross say it one more time, because I love the way he says it. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. If we don't do it, who will do it? That went a little fast. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. If we don't do it, who will? Um, I so want to thank you for all you do. I am so totally amazed by this church and your commitment to missions. I, I, don't, I have never experienced anything like it. Uh, this week has just been so lovely, the people we've gotten to spend time with. You all do all these things. It's amazing. I really wanted to say to you today, I was thinking about how can I say thank you, and I really want to tell you Somebody made the mistake of saying to me, you know, all I've done is write a check. I want you to know, when you write a check to this church's missions committee, you, it, it's an act of spiritual warfare. I'm not overstating this. Nobody in the world should give to anybody else. I mean, it's your hard-earned money. Why on earth are you going to give it away? And why on earth are you going to give it to people halfway around the world and causes that they have? It's incredible when you do this. Um, I know I'm speaking for all <laughs> of us missionaries who are here tonight. It, it, it's absolutely mind-boggling to us. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing all the things you're doing. The prayer over us is just something that I cannot tell you. People talk a lot about praying. Very few people actually pray. Um, when you pray for the rest of the world, again, this is really an act of warfare. Um, these things are not to be taken lightly. We are so grateful. You are doing huge things in the world by being obedient, being who you are. And I'm, I am incredibly grateful. Thank you so much.